Hello and welcome back to the Thundersticks Podcast. I am your host Ben Kreider and today I'm going to be talking about the Thunder's latest game against the LA Clippers. The crazy ending yet again. Some of the top performers from there. And then I'm also going to be talking about the Oklahoma City Blue more in depth today. They have the biggest game of their season today against the Rio Grande Valley Vipers. So I will be getting you guys up to date on that game, the whole situation, and what the Winter Showcase even looks like for them. But first, I want to talk about the OKC Thunder's latest game against the LA Clippers. This is one where the Thunder kind of needed some redemption here. They lost at the buzzer to Devontae Graham's 61-foot game winner in their last one set the longest game winner in NBA history. They only had it dated back the last 25. Check the tapes even further. Yeah, that was the furthest one you're going to find in history. So they were obviously down in the dumps about that. They got two days of preparation for this one against the Clippers team. And they didn't have Kawhi. They didn't have Paul George. Nicholas Batum was questionable. He ends up playing in this game. But they are battle-scarred. They don't have their full squadron out there. And that means they're a little bit vulnerable. But to begin this game, there really wasn't much separation that you found in this one. The OKC Thunder ended up being ahead 24-19 to through one when you check out kind of where the point distribution was coming from uh, a lot of it came from SGA he had six points but Trey Mann too he goes in for five minutes and drops six points goes two of two from distance and just looks amazing off the dribble with some step backs so he was the microwave that you were going to find there he ends up drilling the buzzer beater at the end of the first quarter right at the right corner so they look good moving on into that second quarter and that's when Trey Mann continues to pick up the pace I talked about the first five he had in the first quarter he goes in for the next two minutes for that second quarter and he already is up to 11 points in the game that's as much as he got in this one but 11 points in seven minutes he looked like an all-star during that little segment and it's kind of ridiculous. I mean, his ball handling is off the charts. We know that. There's this one moving between the legs where it looks like his knee is about to just touch the floor really damn close to it. Uh, but he ends up just killing his man off that move, makes a step back and pops it at the right wing. Just excellent play from him. Uh, we all know his shot creation ability is wild. Uh, and that was just another example of that. So you get done with his 11 points. And then you're kind of back to you know, fighting back and forth here. And the Clippers, they end up making some strides in that second quarter. You see a lot of guard play just due to the nature of Paul George and Kawhi being out. Luke Kennard headlined that. He had 12 of the team's 33 points. They go completely even though, 33 to 33 in that frame. So OKC heads in a halftime up by five points. And then you go into that third quarter and it's much of the same. Lots of guard play. For the Clippers, Luke Kennard is still just hitting three after three. He, he hits a pair of them. Uh, you check what the Clippers were doing in that quarter. Really only came from distance. Five of their ten shots came from deep. And then for the Thunder, they couldn't really buy a bucket. They shot two of seven from distance. Ten of 21 overall. But it didn't matter because there were just not that many shots going up on either side. And OKC remains up by two going into the fourth 
quarter. And this is a game where OKC, through the first three, they were just barely hanging on with the lead. They needed stint after stint to kind of keep them back going. They didn't have a one set guy. You'd see SGA drop five, Trey Mann drop six, Lou Dort gets eight points in a row, just things to that nature. And they needed more of that in the fourth quarter. And it looked like they were doing fine. They didn't give away this lead uh, until the final like three or so minutes in this game. So they're still jawing, but Luke Kennard, once again, he starts feeling it. He had himself uh, in the second quarter with his 12 points. He gets up to 27 points with 237 left to go in the game. He drills a 25-foot pull-up, puts him up one point, and then it's just kind of this back-and-forth situation where the Thunder... They need to get points on the board. They can't really find it. SGA's missing shots. Josh Giddy, he gets a ball. He goes up for another shot, gets rejected. I'll talk about him in a second. He had one hell of a game. Dort gets it. He misses a shot. There were so many different offensive rebounds that you saw in this final play here, the final possession. So three straight misses for the Thunder. Turns the ball back over to the Clippers. They miss. Then the Thunder missed, just trading off. I think the Thunder missed three or four consecutive shots here, and it kept everybody pretty much quiet until inside the one-minute marks. There were ample opportunities for the Thunder. It was just chaotic. I think that's the best way to describe it because you'd see a, a rebound or a steal. I know one in particular, Mike Muscala gets the ball right under the rim, and he just chucks, or I guess loft is a better way to describe it. He lofts a pass up to the half-court line. Easy pick for the Clippers, and it's just like, when are we going to get any sort of points here? Uh, points do come in with 33 seconds to go, but not in the form you would have liked it. Nick Batum cans a three. Looks like this one's getting put to bed with that shot. And then the Thunder had to call a timeout. Looking for something here. Lou Dort gets it with 25 seconds to go. He drives inside. He's able to convert there. Two-point game with 26 seconds remaining. Clippers call a timeout. They sub in Justice Winslow for Luke Kennard, or excuse me, Luke Kennard for Justice Winslow, because you have to have the better foul shooters out there, and Lou Dort takes Reggie Jackson to the line, hits both of his shots, four-point game again, now Winslow's back for defensive purposes, 17 seconds remaining, and on the ensuing play, SGA slashes inside, picks up a layup with 10 seconds to go, 103 to 101, and then they don't have any more timeouts, so they have to gun an inbound in. It goes to Justice uh, Justice Winslow off one initial pass. SGA gets him, and SGA's excited because Justice Winslow is not a very good free throw shooter. Shooting in the 60s going into this pair. Misses the first, misses the second. Still a two-point game for the Thunder. They get a timeout with 6.9 seconds remaining, and the ball goes in to SGA top of the key same setup as last game when he's just making his one or two steps here this time it's just a little bit closer to the arc looks like he might drive takes one step to the right hits a step back launches a 28 foot step back jumper swish buzzer sounds game OKC wins 104 to 103 they pick up their ninth win with the victory and then for the Clippers, they are one step closer to that 500 mark. I guess they drop down a little bit closer. They're tied with the Lakers in terms of record. But that was big. 
for the Thunder. After the finish you saw in the last one, they needed some sort of pick-me-up. This was the pick-me-up of all pick-me-ups. In the next game, get a little bit of vengeance here against a team that dropped them by 73 points. They're playing the Memphis Grizzlies tomorrow, so they have that momentum going into the FedEx Forum, uh, but they also have a lot of momentum just off of this game alone. A hell of a lot of plays had to happen in the fold of this one. There are multiple different storylines, not even with just SGA hitting his jumper, and I'll get into that in one second, but first, I want to let you guys know about my good friends over at DraftKings Sportsbook. Football fans, I'm sure we all love an action-packed, high-scoring NFL game. But with the latest no-brainer from DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL, you'll be a winner once a single point is scored. New customers who bet just $1 on any team to score can win $100 in free bets. It's that simple. Everyone can play for huge cash prizes, and DraftKings is giving all new customers a free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes with their first deposit. Here's what you have to do. Go ahead and download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code TBPN, bet $1 on any team to score, and win $100 in free bets if they score. You score with promo code TBPN. PN this week at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Must be 21 or older in New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only. New customers only. Minimum $5 deposit and $1 wager required. One per customer. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com Sportsbook for details. And if you have a gambling problem, go ahead and call 1-800-GAMBLER. But guys, moving into the actual stat breakdown of this game, you saw three ties in the first quarter, three ties in the, uh, in the fourth quarter, nothing in that second or third quarter, and SGA shot marks the final lead change, sways the tides of this one, and changes the direction in the standings. OKC gets their win. Like I mentioned, this is one hell of a game for him. He ends up capping this game with his second career game winner. First one came in a December 26th game last season. I believe it was against the Charlotte Hornets. And then he has this one almost a year to the day. So maybe he can continue this uh, moving on forward. But yeah, one hell of a game for him. Actually, this was one of his more quiet ones until clutch time when you break down the numbers. He went into that final minute with just 13 points on the evening. That's one of his lowest outputs of the season. Actually, right there with his lowest uh, total he's placed. So he knocks up a few levels and when it mattered. And that's obviously how you're going to get to this final score. But there are a lot of different stars in this game. You do have to start with SGA, though, because of the late game heroics with him. Just the step back of his is so, so lethal, guys. And if you've been following me over at SI Thunder, highly recommend you do so. Just go to si.com slash thunder, uh, or you can just go on their Twitter page. But yeah, if you've been following me there, you guys know that I've done a story on SGA, breaking that third level, also have talked about it on here. He's been in a three-point dry spell. And he's finally started to dig out of it. He shot 4 of 8 in the last game. And then in this game, he goes 2 of 5, but the clutch shot drops in. So 40% still looks really damn good for SGA. 
given those circumstances. And he hasn't been getting to the line near as much. That's another reason why you've seen the points drop down for him. Uh, He's not getting the 25, 30 points we've kind of become accustomed to. But it doesn't matter. He's still going 8 of 16 in this game. And even tops it off with 6 assists. This was kind of a game where he was able to take that backseat role. He did not need to star. But when he was called upon, he continued to make it count for the roster. So he plays 36 minutes in this game. Looks really damn impressive in doing so. And he had to play a little bit cautious with five fouls in this game. Never picks up that six though. And that is a serious game changer for him. So just another day when it comes to SGA. You look at his play though. You look at the stat line. Not any free throw attempts. Just not getting much love in that category right now. But He's working towards other aspects to produce a lot of layups without the fouls, but then also the step backs that he added last season. But going past him, I want to talk a little bit about Josh Giddy, And I'll just give you some insights here. When I was watching this game, I was already typing up Giddy getting a triple-double because he was right there really from the get-go. He finishes, I think, the first four minutes of the game with four or five rebounds. He gets a couple of assists early, and you're looking at a stat line at halftime where he's got five plus in all categories. This looks like a home run for him, and it definitely was a home run with three minutes remaining in the third quarter. He had eight points, 10 rebounds, and 10 assists with 15 more minutes to go in the game. One more field goal is putting him in history. He would have been the youngest player with a triple-double, 19 years, 69 days. That would have edged out LaMelo Ball by 71 days. He did his when he was 19 years old, 130 days. So, would have been historic. And Josh Giddy knew about this. He knew he was close, but he could not get a shot. He talked about it in the post-game presser. And then also, in the field, uh, on the floor, you could kind of see he wanted the basketball. He was waving his hands up and down, waving his arms, just trying to get the basketball when he was out in the corner of the wing. He ended up getting it a couple times, but just not many shots. He did have one good floater that looked like it was going in, didn't go. And then at the very end of that fourth quarter, kind of that loose ball scramble, he gets it right under the rim. And there are about two or three different Clippers defenders on him. No reason he should take this shot. It would have been uh, a miracle if he made it, but he goes up. Seems like there might have been contact, no call, and that was kind of the final blow. After that, in the last like two or three minutes, kind of seemed like, you know, they were prioritizing this victory over that one shot. I think if Mark Dagnall let him play out that third quarter, let him play the early moments of that fourth, he would have gotten it and it wouldn't have had a major impact uh, in the final minutes of this game. Just get it out of the way. But it was never done. After you had Giddy get 8, 10, and 10, Mark Dagnall kind of pulled the plug on him for some moments. He stuck to that rotation, which obviously uh, hurts him for etching his name into the history books. But... You know, you do get that uh, that victory here. Still got to be very excited about Josh Giddy though. 8 points, 18 rebounds, and 10 assists in just 32 minutes. This is a reversal kind of stat line here. When I see 18, 10, and 8, I'm thinking 18 points, 10 rebounds, and 8 assists. Absolutely not. 18 rebounds for a guard? Are you freaking kidding me? That is the most in Thunder franchise history for a rookie. So he takes that away from the previous record holder 
and wow, he was down and dirty when it came to collecting the boards, and four of those came on the offensive side. Don't think they produced many uh, second chance points for himself, but definitely could have provided some for the assist department because he was making some razzle-dazzle passes. He got one. He was driving up courts. He's like left side uh, and throws this like beautiful outlet on the money to, I believe, Jeremiah Robinson Earl crossing the timeline. Guns it. Had little room for air. Makes the perfect pass and it's two points. I mean, he just does stuff where you have no idea that he's 19. You'd think he's an all-star, best passer in the NBA. He's definitely one of the best passers in the NBA. But yeah, he's 19 years old, just beginning his NBA career. So he's wise beyond his years. I actually had one of my friends, Connor, who saw him um, before the game. He was kind of thinking there was going to be some good luck there. Sort of was, so there you go, but um, yeah, like, it was one hell of a game for him, and the fact he didn't get a triple-double was just a little bit heartbreaking there. This is not going to be the last time, though, and in the course of 71 days, a lot more opportunities for Josh Giddy. This was by far the closest he had, and to think the stat line that got him nabbed just a little bit was the point department. Uh, that's kind of crazy. It tells you how charitable Josh Giddy is as a player. He's a pass-first guy, and um, you know he's netting a lot of assists. So I think moving on from here, he'll probably be fine for points and rebounds. Most of the time, though, it does come down to assists. This time, when he was kicking it out, they were making their open shots. Sometimes you see some guys falter in the three-point category. They ended up going pretty solid in this game. They went 38.7%, making 12 of 31 shots. So best of luck to Giddy and getting a triple-double. And goodness gracious, Lou Dort went off in this game. Didn't play in the last one due to an ankle injury, but you wouldn't have known. Played 37 minutes, the most across any member on the team. Goes 12 of 19 for 29 points. 4 of 8 from distance. Has 5 rebounds, 2 steals. One of which could have tied this game in the final minute. But he went up for a layup, hit his knee, sailed out of bounds. And that was that. So he came up really everywhere. Almost had uh, one of the most lethal shots in clutch time. Just wasn't meant to be. But wow, the consistency with Lou is something else. He's a certified bucket getter from all three levels at this point. And he didn't even get to the foul line to pick up his 29. He only had one foul shot. Not a lot of fouls coming and going in this game. But... It uh, kind of just makes you think exactly like SGA. What if he does unlock that foul shot? Is he breaking 35 in this game? He could have. I mean, just Mr. Consistency here. You give him the basketball. Defenders are still a little bit frazzled on what to do with him. And he just casually shoots over the top of you, swishes down a couple threes. Next thing you know, he has 29 points and he's unstoppable when he's driving downhill. So, yeah, special player. You love the duo and really the trio that's forming with Dort, SGA, and Giddy. Uh, after the game was over, it was SGA or Dort. He mentioned, you know, the team chemistry is starting to build here. And I would have to agree given the stat lines we saw from that little trio right there. When you check out the starting unit, though, 
one major difference. You had Aaron Wiggins as a starter, but also Jeremiah Robinson Earl. So who does that leave out? Leaves out Darius Baisley, whose last time coming off the bench was in Game 7 against the Houston Rockets when Danilo Gallinari was here. So it's been a very long time. Mark Dagnalt said before the game that they were thinking about this for a long time. He notified Sam Presti of this inquiry, and then Mark made the final decision. So Bays goes to the bench. Wiggins gets to start with the ones. He only plays 19 minutes, but he did have five points, three rebounds, and one assist. Kind of that nice jolt that you get. He was one of the first scorers for the Thunder in this game and um, brings you that energy. That's one of the reasons he did get the starting nod. And then for Baisley, too, you know, he had a good game. You didn't see much from three for him. He went one of three, three of eight and all on this game, but he did go three of five from the foul line. I think the bench roll is a lot better for him. It's a better situation just because he is more of a ball-dominant player and he just cannot get the touches with the starters. And when you kind of break down his role as of late, he's a corner sitter, but he's shooting below 30% from three. So he's not really a valued uh, valued piece there. So shaking up the roster and putting Wiggins uh, with that unit was awesome, I think. It, it alleviated some of the uh, spacing issues that we've seen in the past. Didn't really see Bays much in space this game. He was still kind of just lingering around the right corner. But... Still think he did a little bit better with his little reduction. Uh, Trey Mann, too, looked great. Like I said, all of his 11 points came in a 7-minute span. Plays 18 minutes in this one. 3 of 3 from distance. 4 of 8 from the floor. Damn, he is just something else, honestly. And then so is Poku. After his G League assignment, plays 9 minutes, has 10 points and 5 rebounds. 4 of 6 from the floor and 1 of 2 from distance. His long strides are wacky when he's handling the basketball. If there's no turnovers to go along with it, it is a real treat to watch. He got it at the right wing on one play, made like two steps inside, and he's looking at a 14-foot pull-up jumper, and he's got his defender leaning on his back, you know? So he can create space. Also, a lot of the times you just saw a game of hot potato, Poku ends up with it, and he launches the shot. Cannot blame the man for doing so, so... He did a hell of a job there. Like I said, they'll be facing the Memphis Grizzlies tomorrow in their game, but there's no stoppage in basketball. The OKC Blue are playing their biggest game of the season tonight in Las Vegas. They'll be taking on the Rio Grande Valley Vipers. I've talked about it a couple days ago on the pod. And they are into the Winter Showcase. They won their last two games by a margin of 20 and 28 points against the Stockton Kings last week. Clinching a spot in the Showcase. They're the sixth seed. There's two other teams that are 8-4, and four, but they have the best point differential by a lot. It's 13 points some odd. That's second best league-wide. And that obviously puts you in a position to play the Vipers as opposed to a 10 or 11 win team in the main Celtics or the Delaware Bluecoats so they get saved a little bit from that uh, but before I go into the actual game I want to give some details to the Winter Showcase Cup because I mentioned it here and there but I haven't give like an in-depth explanation just yet this is going to be a single elimination tournament with those eight teams the winner must win three consecutive games this is going to span from Sunday 
all the way to Wednesday if they do make the finals. And you get, obviously, that trophy. But there is a $100,000 cash prize spread among the winning team's players. So there is a real incentive for some of these guys to stick around. And it makes it interesting because... As you're going to see, a lot of teams are getting into COVID issues. Some people are using the hardship exception to sign guys to 10 days. Justin Jackson was one of them. Mario Chalmers has been another. If an OKC blue guy or really any guy gets proposed with this and they're in the tournament, do they take the 10 day or do they stick around for the potential pay upgrade? We'll see. I'm sure there would be some sort of situation or agreement uh, where they would still get some money if their team uh, wins that they've typically been on. But I don't know. I, I feel like many would probably just go to the NBA, get their shot, their one shining moment. But this is going to be their best showcase. That's why it's called that, to really get some NBA interest. There's no fans in attendance for this. It's strictly scouts, and then you got the two benches, you got the head coaches, and then you just rock and roll and play some basketball in the city of aces but yeah this is their opportunity they had this two seasons ago Lou Dort looked very good uh, when they had their little stretch of games here and there are a couple guys on the blue that I think could be very dangerous as well so I'll go into that uh, just kind of giving a little brief history OKC they started this season with a three and two record looked like they wouldn't make this but then they rallied. They went 5-2 and two in the last seven games. And now they clinched it. As for the Rio Grande Valley Vipers, they were the number one team in the league eight games in. They were 8-0. Nobody could stop them. But then they started bringing some of their guys up to the NBA ranks. Josh Christopher, main cog there. In addition to Garrison Matthews, Joshua Christopher started his first game yesterday. I don't think he's going to be here. With Garrison Matthews, he's not even on a two-way contract anymore. He's on that 15-man roster spot, and he has been averaging around 14 points per game with them. He'll be gone, which means if they're going to have any assignments, it might be Usman Garuba. That would be about it that I could speculate here. Still have a couple good guys. Deshaun Nix, he played with the G League Ignite last season. He'll be hanging around, and then there are a few others uh, that I think could get a little bit active. But when you look at this Valley Vipers team, the reason they've been so successful uh, has just been their paint play. And they've had to rely on this because Christopher's been out, because Matthews have, has been out. And they've gone 1-3 and three in the last stretch, so they are the most cold team in uh, the system right now for the tournament. But they're still dangerous nonetheless, averaging 58.8 points per game inside. That number kind of stacks up to what you saw when Moses Brown and Omer Yurtseven were holding things down for the Blue last year. But the Blue are the best defending team on interior buckets this season. They're allowing just 40.3 points per game coming from inside the paint. So it makes it an interesting challenge for really both sides. I think that's how it's going to get settled. If you see the Valley Vipers just go insane on the interior, they probably take it. But if they're getting hindered to around that 40-point mark, I think this is where it sways in the OKC Blues direction. And when you look at the OKC Blue, they have been dominant. But... You got to look at the situation here. They are not playing in the Paycom Center right now. They're playing in Las Vegas. That's a long trip away, and it's not as easy for some of these assignments to make the trip over here. 
there aren't any listed assignments for the OKC Blue team currently. That's the first time we've seen that going into a game, and they've already had such a sporadic starting unit. They've had nine different starting units in 12 games. It's got to be the most in the league by far. And you got guys like Poku who were just playing, Trey Mann, Ty Jerome. They're not in the system currently. Vic Krejci was on the sidelines for last night's Thunder game, so I don't know if he'd be there. And then the two two-way guys, Aaron Wiggins just started. Paul Watson Jr. was in street clothes for the game. So they're both in Oklahoma City. And then you look at some of these Instagrams. Jalen Horde was watching NBA games in a hotel room in Vegas yesterday. I don't think they're going to be playing in this game, which makes it kind of the biggest storyline. They don't have their traditional unit, and they're going to be coming into this thing having to play second unit guys, a larger scale roles, and some of them have been able to convert. They've been called upon to start in some games. Others, they've been lucky to scrap 10 minutes in a contest because they've just been lodged down the rotational depth chart. So everyone's going to get their opportunities on the bright side, but is it going to take them a while to adjust to so many different key departures on this roster? Six of their nine double-digit scorers on the roster are assignments. So you take out two-thirds of their top scoring unit. Who do you have left? You have DJ Wilson, you have Rob Edwards, and you have Melvin Frazier Jr. That is all you get for 10-plus point-per-game players. So... On the bright side, I guess you get to see DJ Wilson hold it down. He's been looking good as that center. And then, like I said, Edwards and Frazier Jr., they've been kind of stuck in bench roles. But even with that, we've seen 18-point outings from Edwards off the bench. Melvin had a 27-point game against the Stockton Kings on Wednesday. Didn't really get to play much on Friday, though, due to some of the assignments Uh, But those are the key three guys, I would say. Olivier Saar in the bench unit is a little lethal, though. Seven-footer, very springy. Kind of the perfect recipe for G League play, in my opinion. And he's kind of stretched out the floor in some stints. So we'll see if he taps into that. I think he could be that guy who slips in for 20 minutes and gets you that double-double. Would be a real swing factor in this game if he does. And same goes for Edwards and Frazier if they can get the ball rolling. But this game is going to be at 7 p.m. Originally, this was a 5 p.m. Central game on ESPN2, but they moved it for a Capital City Go-Go game, which has Kyrie Walker on it, like the former high school prodigy. So I don't know why they did that. I guess maybe he's more marketable. If not, they just wanted a better time slot for this game. Anyways, it's 7 p.m., And you're going to be able to view it on NBAGleague.com. This is a live stream only game, so you can check it out there. As for the location, it's in the Mandalay Bay Convention Center in Vegas. So we will check that out. As for the biggest X factor that I've noted, it's got to be Rob Edwards. This man can win a game single-handedly. Puts teams on his back. Did it in the Summer League. Did it in the last game against the Kings. Ended up having 11 points in 4 minutes on Friday. Finished the game with 16 points in 20 minutes. Really didn't play in that second half either. And he's averaged 12.6 points per game. Placing double digits in 8 of those 12 
contests and due to the assignments the rotation will be a lot different and i can't confirm maybe there's a really late assignment enlisted for some of these guys i kind of doubt it if not rob edwards should be in that starting unit and he should be playing 25 plus minutes breaking his seasonal record uh, thus far but just breaking this team down, there's going to be a lot of backcourt depletion due to Teo being gone, due to Trey being gone, no Paul Watson, no Wiggins. I think Xavier Simpson becomes the number one point guard here, and he's been the starting guy, not this year, but he, he was the full-time starter last season under Grant Gibbs, and he did a hell of a job. Assist leader on the team, he's able to find people in their spots, and he can get it going inside when necessary so I like him there the thing is though Justin Jarowski as the backup point guard averages just 7.3 minutes per game I liked him when I was looking at his college tape he's able to hit from distance pretty solid passer as well he was nearing the 50 40 90 club as a senior so I like his tape but we just don't have enough analysis from his G League play to make a fair assessment on him yet so that's a question mark at the two guard Rob Edwards the guy that I'm going to hold as their number one option will be there Lindy Waters former OSU Cowboy he should be that backup too most likely he's gotten it rolling from distance so you have a lot of those perimeter threats Melvin Frazier Jr. he's not really an on-ball guy but he might have to step up to that just due to guys being out of the mix. And then you have Michael Benege, who's been just like Justin Jarowski at the bottom of the depth chart. But Michael Benege has a little bit of a resume on him. So we'll kind of see if he's able to tap into his old tournament magic like he had with Syracuse a few years ago. At the four spot, Jalen Horde is there. He's had some time with the OKC Thunder, had some time playing a lot of minutes last year with the Blue as well, so I'm all right with that. And then you have Scotty Hobson, who started, he was the day one starter for the Thunder, slipped out of graces there. He might sneak in as a starter, this is just my projection, but I think he kind of comes in as that six man, 32 years old. He was elected as... Um, <laughs> Uh, a position on the G League board actually today, so congratulations to him. He was the secretary uh, as he was selected, but yeah, 32, looked impressive in various different leagues. He played in the NBL most recently before coming here, so he might be able to give that veteran presence and uh, light a little bit of a spark within the roster. And then at the five, this is probably their strongest suited position currently dj wilson and then olivier sar so the only real asterisk and the only thing i'm really uh worried about is what happens with the guard play here how much does xavier simpson have to play for the team as for the center spots i don't mind this i don't mind the front court in general because i think that dj wilson is he's a suitable five for this team jalen horde's gonna be good um, but Olivier Saar can really fill some of those gashes, I think. And then even Scotty Hobson, he's six foot seven, but he can move up to the uh, four if necessary. So it's fine. I think it's mainly the one and then also potentially the three if Melvin Fraser Jr. is in a cold spell. But we hope uh, that does not happen. Anyways, though, this is a pretty favorable first round matchup for the OKC Blue. 
just because they aren't playing a double-digit win team or they're not playing the South Bay Lakers who had their number in the previous two occasions. So if they take this game, they're going to take a one-day hiatus. They'll be back in action for Tuesday in their second-round game against the winner of the 2-7 game, which should be played later on today. But... I will get all that to you guys tomorrow. Same goes with the OKC Blue recap, what I saw from that, and what could potentially be uh, up next for them if they move on to round number two. But other than that, though, guys, that is going to do it for today's episode. I thank you all for listening, and I will talk to you all next time. See ya.